good afternoon. Welcome to the press conference for the Johnson County Emergency Operations Center for Wednesday, March 25th. My name is Kelly Andreessen. I'm the Public Information Officer for Johnson County. Uh, thank you for those in the media reporting on this and to our community partners who are participating and for all of you who are tuning in live. Um, again, this is a rapidly changing situation, so we do appreciate your patience and flexibility in doing things a little, a little differently these days. And we do hope to move to a more virtual platform uh, for future press conferences, and we will keep you updated on that uh, once we get those things arranged. Uh, just a few reminders, we're working with uh, American Sign Language interpreters for this press conference. So for those reporters, please make sure that you're including them in your shot. We are streaming this live on Facebook on the Johnson County Public Health page. Uh, we do have a microphone for the reporters. So if you do have a question, please raise your hand, state your name, ask your question so that those who are tuning in remotely can hear. And um, when, when you raise your hand, Krista will pass off the mic. Uh, we are practicing social distancing, so we've limited the number of people in the room to less than 10. For those purposes, I will bring in each speaker one at a time. They will make their statement, and then we'll open it up for questions for that person. So for the reporters, if you do have follow-up questions with an individual that you didn't get to during the press conference, just please touch base with me after, and I can get you connected. Um, like I said, this is a rapidly changing situation, and all of our community partners are sharing the information that they have at this time, so we do appreciate uh, your patience, flexibility, and understanding. So we will get started uh, with Dave Coach, Director of Johnson County Public Health. Thank you, Kelly. And again, welcome, everybody. Johnson County Public Health continues to work with the Iowa Department of Public Health and a number of local agencies to contain the spread of COVID-19 in our community. Currently, there are 43 positive cases in Johnson County. Nine have recovered from COVID-19 and are no longer considered infectious and are now under the same recommendations as the general public. We are fortunate to have great partnerships in our healthcare institutions, both here in Johnson County and in Lynn County, along with the Iowa Department of Public Health and the emergency management, again, here in Johnson County, as well as Lynn County, as well as Lynn County Public Health. The governor's closure of restaurants, bars, gyms, salons, and other public places, along with additional government and private sector businesses voluntarily closing to the public or having their employees work from home, and the schools and colleges closing will help us to stop the spread of this virus. COVID-19 is in Iowa communities, and many more Iowans are likely to become ill in the coming weeks. We must practice social distancing. Social distancing is putting space between yourself and other people. Maintain a distance of six feet and avoid gatherings. Cover your cough, clean your hands, don't touch your face, contain yourself at home when sick. All of these messages that we've been talking about. Clean and disinfect frequently touch surfaces. Though we encourage people to stay home as much as possible, remember that social distancing must be practiced everywhere. If you must go out to the grocery store or pharmacy, maintain the six feet and wash your hands. The goal of social distancing is to lower the space uh, and extent of the spread of COVID-19. If that can happen, then there will be less people with the disease and less people needing healthcare interventions. The actions every single person takes right now will directly affect the ability of our healthcare systems to care for the ill. 
Staying home on your couch or going on a walk away, from, uh, away with your children, away from others, is actually saving lives. It is. It truly is. Now is not the time to shop for non-essential items or hang out with friends or extended family. All we have is social distancing to slow this. These sacrifices of missed sporting events and dining out with friends will be considered small if we can keep those older adults and those who are immunocompromised from getting sick. This won't be forever. The majority of us that will not get extremely ill from this virus need to take actions now to keep the most at risk safe. Thank you to all of Johnson County residents who are making big and small sacrifices in their daily lives to stop the spread of this virus. So at this point, I'd be uh, willing to open it up for questions and from the press citizen um, is Johnson County could implement its own shelter in place or stay-at-home order correct correct okay um, what are the and the idea right now is that we have more people infected than there are tests available to get confirmed cases correct we don't know that for sure okay experts are saying there are all, way more people that are infected generally across the country sure. than we do have tests available um, so how are we deciding um, something like a shelter-in-place order locally um, if the tests that we have, we're, you know, we're assuming aren't accurately showing the extent of spread? Mm -hmm. uh, so, so one thing to remember uh, that will answer part of this question is that uh, we're told that at least 80% of the people that have the infection will not need a test. And so again, we're reminding individuals to stay home when they're sick, to call their healthcare provider rather than showing up to be assessed uh, remotely before they might show up at the hospital. Um, there, there are more tests coming on all the time and there's really very little restrictions for healthcare providers to be able to, to um, issue and call for those tests. We've got other healthcare professionals that will be speaking today that can answer that question perhaps more directly. Uh, Michaela from the Gazette. I had a follow-up uh, to that, Dave. Um, you said at least 80% of people will not need a test. So um, is that to help conserve supplies or is the, um, you know, are, are officials not worried about trying to get an accurate count of what the spread is community-wide? And I should back up. Maybe I need to clarify that. At least 80% of the individuals will have mild symptoms and likely would not need a test. I think there's, there's still um, benefits in, in collecting as much data as we can from these tests, just because it is a novel virus to be able to learn as much as we can about that. And again, the uh, medical professional speaking today can answer kind of the importance of having that data to be able to study this moving forward. Mitch Vick from Iowa's News Now. Is there a, a, a numerical level that would needed to be hit um, in terms of confirmed cases or testing to have the county have a a shelter-in-place uh, order on their, on their own, or is it something that you, you collaborate with the state with and they give the order? That, that's an excellent question. And, and there's, um, since last Saturday, I can't tell you how many conversations we've had both um, locally with the state and with Lynn County to be able to make that determination. So there's really a lot of things already in place that I read through and that, that we're doing locally. Um, some are orders from the state. Um, as I said, all of the schools, the colleges, universities, 
uh, what they've done, uh, a lot of the businesses that have closed their doors and working remotely. So all of those things are strategies to slow this spread. To answer your question though specifically, there are metrics that you heard the governor talk about yesterday that have been developed. And I think it's important that every county kind of look at their own specific demographics because there, there is a large difference, even within Iowa from county to county, regarding those demographics, regarding the healthcare in, uh, structure. Um, and all of these things need to be taken into account. So it's really difficult to be able to say, these are the metrics, these are the thresholds that would be used across the state. I think, you know, Iowa Department of Public Health is allowing that latitude to consult with them locally, whether that's a local um, shelter in place or if that's statewide, those are all conversations that we're having. Yes. Um, Hillary from the Press Citizen. Uh, so what is the, um, what are the uh, concerns about issuing a local shelter in place order in Johnson County that would be, you know, that's it actually. Sure. Just leave it at that. No, that's an excellent question. And um, there's, there's certain aspects, both from uh, economics that elected officials are, are also considering. There's aspects of the, from the medical and, and healthcare institution. And again, Dr. Um, Brooks Johnson, uh, Jackson, I'm sorry, w would be able to speak to uh, some of those points from a healthcare facility. I know there's a lot of concerns um, with the supply chain, with workforce, um, and those types of things, and he can speak to that. Uh, Travis from KWWL, um, when you guys are notified that there is a positive case in the county, um, what is your department's role in that? As in, is there any kind of like in-person follow-up or something like that? And kind of an avenue of my question is, what are you guys doing to make sure that your staff stay safe during the process? It's an excellent, excellent question, Travis. And, and just yesterday, um, our, our disease prevention specialists have the role of doing the surveillance and there is no physical contact, first of all, I'll make that very clear, it's all through the phone. Um, what they are going to do though is develop um, a short video or a PowerPoint that will really educate the community of what their specific role is and what those steps are for that investigation and for that surveillance work so that the community better understands our role from that perspective. And uh, like I said, we just talked about that and thought that that would be a great educational piece for the community to understand that. Um, I think I heard from your um, department maybe like three weeks ago that what you guys do is like um, you talk to someone who's you know either confirmed case or showing symptoms like twice a day check their temperature um, over the phone or over Skype or something like that um, as you know as we get more confirmed cases in the county is are you are you stretched so thin that it becomes like well this person's not that sick so we only check in on them once a day or do you have enough to do the protocol with every confirmed case so we will continue to do the operations as we're doing right now and we've got additional capacity so we're bringing on other johnson county public health staff that typically are not doing that role of of investigation and surveillance um, since since all of their operations are scaled back we have the capacity and resources internally to train those individuals. Uh, we just had that conversation at our incident command meeting this week, 
and those individuals are being trained so that we can continue to do all that monitoring that we need to. There potentially could become a point that it is such a large number of individuals that the state would say, okay, at this point, we're not going to do that tracing. I think King County in Seattle has reached that point. Um, and so we will continue to um, do everything that we're doing now until we are told differently from the Iowa Department of Public Health. Um, can you just um, specify and clarify exactly what those points of contact are, just so we all have it correct, and what like the daily check-in schedule is with a patient? So you mean from our staff to the patient? Correct. So that would be what I just talked about as far as that process of uh, surveillance and, and checking in will be really honed in every step. So I just want to wait until that is developed and shared with everybody so that um, that message is, is accurate and consistent. Um, going back to the metrics for a shelter-in-place order, I'm wondering if you can share what um, Johnson County specifically, if there, if you could share what metrics you guys are, um, a, like a threshold if um, so many hospitalizations or um, rate of infection for Johnson County specifically, where you would go that route of declaring a, a local um, shelter-in-place order? So I can't answer that specifically, but I can tell you that you, you said just for Johnson County, we will work in concert with Lynn County. So um, if, if likely if one county orders a shelter in place, it would be in, uh, in step with the other county just because of the, the nature of the corridor and the commute between the two communities. It just needs to be consistent between our two counties. Um, those metrics, as I stated earlier, are still being discussed. So we don't have, we've got a few more questions for Iowa Department of Public Health on those metrics and the values and the thresholds um, before we're able to really um, um, utilize that tool. And again, that is just one tool to help us determine. We're also looking at many other factors. And uh, so, so all of those, um, like I said, the, the factors from healthcare, the factors from businesses and, and the economy, um, certainly from public health, are all taken into consideration. All right, thank you very much. Uh, now we have Brooks Jackson, a physician and dean of the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine and vice president for medical affairs for UIHC. Dr. Jackson has 30 years of experience in viral diagnostics, viral vaccine and drug trials, and viral epidemics as vice president of health sciences and public health officer for the University of Minnesota. He also uh, previously served as chair of pathology and a faculty member in Johns Hopkins School of Medicine and School of Public Health. Thank you very much. 
I'd like to make a, a few introductory remarks and then would we'll be glad to take your questions. I think obviously listening to the questions uh, uh, to the speaker before me, uh, the issue about uh, uh, stay in place or order shelter in place is clearly one of the, one of the, the big issues. Obviously, we have now, I think, 145 cases in Iowa, uh, which is less than many other states and maybe a little earlier in the epidemic, but still a major cause uh, for concern. And of course, we do want to flatten that curve in order to successfully uh, manage the epidemic, as well as minimize the, the number of hospitalizations and deaths. And you know there are reasons to believe that we may be able, may be able to do this without an order to stay in place uh, for for several reasons. And um, for one thing, the demographics of every state or county uh, can be quite different. For example, Johnson County, um, the average age uh, of citizens in Johnson County is 30 years of age compared to the, the nation, which is 38 years of age. Obviously, you're at higher risk for hospitalization and death if you're if if you're older. Also, we have a highly educated uh, population and uh, 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 a much uh, healthier population overall in many ways, less smoking, for example. Uh, the density uh, is 120 times less per acre than New York City, for example. Uh, we don't have mass transit, which uh, these vehicles can serve uh, uh, very well for transmission, as well as you know, very large apartment buildings with thousands of people in them that may have shared ventilation systems. They're almost like cruise ships. So you, you know, we we don't typically have that so much in, in Iowa or in Johnson County. Um, the other thing is, um, you know, the governor and the IDPH, um, you know, relatively early. Uh, did uh, put in measures, as uh, uh, David before me was mentioning about, you know, limiting gatherings uh, to 10, to closing schools, um, restaurants, bars being closed, salons, that sort of thing. The university itself, uh, as you know, uh, has gone to virtual online. So there are literally like 30,000 less students uh, in, in dorms on, on, on campus uh, or being on campus every day. So that clearly uh, it has helped. Um, emphasizing the social distancing of being six feet apart and hand washing uh, uh, clearly is critical uh, to helping stop uh, transmission. And you know, other countries such as Japan, uh, which is highly dense and a much older population, has done this pretty successfully um, uh, without going to a, a shelter-in-place uh, sort of strategy. Um, so could we do it here? And I think you know, this is certainly uh, worth uh, considering without having to do uh, a shelter-in-place. I think some other things that uh, you know, we in Johnson County are really trying to do is mentioning about monitoring patients who are uh, COVID-19 positive uh, so that if they do start getting sick, we catch them early before they deteriorate with their health too much. And I think uh, we are putting in systems in place to do just that, to minimize then hospitalizations and ultimately minimize uh, deaths. Um, you know, we're very fortunate, UIHC, to have uh, a, a really world-class uh, facility with some of the top pulmonologists and intensivists uh, in the world, and we have access uh, to new drug treatments. 
uh, such as remdesivir, and, and we're starting convalescent plasma protocols. So these are uh, things which we also hope will, will minimize morbidity and mortality uh, in, in Johnson County and to patients who come from elsewhere uh, in Iowa. You know, our, one of our concerns about putting an order to stay in place is one, it's economically very uh, disruptive, and we do worry about it impairing our supply chain, which is already under stress as, as it is. Um, you know, it also, and, and, and so to give you some examples, you know, we're very large organizations with, with I think, a 17,000 person headcount and, uh, you know, probably a couple thousand are, are close to working from home, but we need people on, uh, at, at the hospital and these clinics, and they come from all over. They, not just Johnson County, but surrounding counties as well that are, would, are traveling in every 24-7 uh, there. And we also depend on thousands of other uh, um, uh, people that are not UIHC employees, but they provide services. These are small business owners, for example, that, that uh, potentially provide services. And so if uh, order to stay in place and they lose most of their business, we lose their business to an ability to provide uh, services uh, for our, our system. Um, it also disproportionately uh, adversely affects low wage earners and the small business owners, as I said, and minorities in particular. Uh, so there are some real downsides to them, and it's all, you do worry that uh, stay in place, especially among older individuals who may uh, be sick, um, may be hesitant to go out because of this order is in place, how that might be interpreted. So there are some uh, potential downsides um, uh, as well. Nevertheless, uh, I think if things like uh, hospitalization rates, death rates, uh, the number of cases per so many 100,000 population, uh, these are metrics that I think need to be looked at as well as our capacity to, to, to take patient staff beds uh, are all being looked at with the IDPH. Uh, that would at some point might trigger a, a stay in place. So I don't think we should rule it out. Um, but I think in the meantime, it's extremely important that community leaders and the press stress the importance of minimizing contact with others, especially um, for people over 70 and others with underlying diseases such as high blood pressure, diabetes, heart disease, as they are at significant risk for hospitalization and, and death with this particular infection. And likewise, younger, healthier people should, you know, really do need to keep six feet apart and wash hands to limit the spread and to stay away from the most vulnerable uh, among us in populations. And I think if we can continually send that message, which we have started already, we may be able to mitigate uh, the, the curve here uh, without resorting to a, a pretty drastic step of, of shelter in place. So with that, I'll be glad to take questions. Mitch Vick from Iowa News Now. Uh, UIHC now has in-house testing for COVID-19, but it's said to be limited. If you could just expand on that, the, the limitations of those tests. Yeah, we, we do have it. We started it last Friday, and it is gearing up every day. Uh, we are operating uh, three, uh, three shifts uh, to provide uh, uh, testing. Uh, we are, um, uh, you know, for the most part, following the uh, criteria that uh, IDPH has said, although we will, you know, make exceptions, 
Uh, we believe we can probably triple or quadruple that testing probably in a week or so. The FDA has uh, approved uh, uh, some commercial assays that are very quick uh, that we're waiting for reagents and uh, got our orders in. Should we get those uh, this week, which we hope, I, I think this will allow us to greatly expand uh, the testing as well. But people, we do have a clinic called the Influenza-like Influenza uh, Illness Clinic that if you have cough, fever, you know, we will test you. You come to the clinic, we will test you. Okay, we have a remote uh, question here from Ryan, Ryan Foley of the Associated Press. Johnson County continues to lead the state in the number of positive cases by a lot. What is driving that beyond those that were on the cruise ship in Egypt? Well, I'm not sure I'd agree with a lot. I mean, if you take out the 15 or so uh, on the cruise ship, um, you know, I think we have 43, which would put us to, you know, about 28 or so. Um, you know, as a percentage of the, the cases in the state, it is going down. Um, so the direction is we are becoming less and less. Uh, but I think also we are uh, Johnson County uh, is one of the more populous counties in, in the state. I mean, Polk County is, is obviously the biggest, and it wouldn't surprise me if the number of cases in Polk County, just because of its density population, uh, will start, you know, catching up. Obviously, we have a lot of uh, travelers uh, that that come into uh, Johnson County because of our university and faculty and things like that uh, as well. Probably, to some extent, may contribute to that. Um, I'm just wondering, um, so the New York governor said uh, an amount of beds that, the, that New York was going to need in case of a surge of patients. I was wondering if UIHC had any numbers of um, the number of beds that UIHC is going to need. Um, if, yeah, I guess, yeah. That's, uh, so we, we are finalizing our surge plan this week. Uh, we have different levels. Uh, uh, that we are looking at. I don't want to give numbers right now, but I think we have uh, significant bed capacity. I think the, the bigger challenge is probably staffing, uh, especially if for the more intensive uh, type uh, patients that, that might be a limitation. But right now, um, you know, we can, we can handle the, the number of patients, certainly in the, in the next week, I think, so. Hi, I, I was hoping you could follow up on how staffing will be a challenge. Um, are, is the university looking at any ways to try to increase staffing capacity? I know New York um, pushed up graduation for its fourth year medical students to, to get more interns. Is the university looking at anything like that? Well, we do have, uh, you know, we have uh, 450 medical students who have uh, finished their clinical clerkships. Uh, they're on a voluntary basis right now to, to help out. So we are, uh, and they are stepping up, a number of them, to, to help out with that. You know, the issue will be medical care, especially in patients who are very, very sick, require re specialists. Uh, and, you know, there are only so many pulmonologists, there are only so many intensivists, so many respiratory therapists. So, you know, this is where you start. You, you can't, it's not so easy to interchange, you know, uh, a pathologist for uh, 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 an intensivist or a psychiatrist for an intensivist, for example. So that's what we're really looking at right now. Uh, where are those specialty areas we need to draw from should we need to? Like I said, right now we're fine, but it, it's... Um, uh, one of our challenges, like everywhere, is still the, 
the uh, personal protective equipment, uh, which we are making progress on, uh, and we're, which, but it's still um, because we use so much of it now. We use much more of it for all sorts of patients that we didn't so much use to before to, uh, to really protect our uh, workforce. Hilary Ojeda from the Press Citizen. Um, the university just purchased a 3D printer, um, and I was just wondering if that can be used for any kind of um, printing of, for example, uh, protective equipment or any other equipment that's yes, being used. Yes, we are definitely looking at that. Uh, we, the, the community, uh, not just within the university but outside, has been extremely helpful in being able to provide uh, PPE or make PPE. Um, and so, for example, uh, we have really resorted now to using much more face shields, whether you can go down to your local uh, construction, you know, the contractors go to to get the grinder face shields and things like that that we never used before. Uh, so we're finding all sorts of innovative ways to increase our PPE. As I said, some people are manufacturing. They're going down to Lowe's or whatever and buying uh, uh, various uh, acrylic uh, to make that, or plexiglass, for example, for screeners, things like that. So we are, we are not totally, we are not just depending on the outside to, to do this. We, we are doing it on our own, a lot of it, which is, is great. You know, Iowans are, when they see what there can do, can do people here. So, you know, I think we're making progress there. Uh, sorry, I didn't hear if you answered the question about uh, using the 3D printer that the university got. Yes. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, so we, yes. Could you, could you say what it's being used for? Uh, so at, at this point, uh, some of it is for the uh, types of uh, acrylic uh, shields, potentially, this sort of thing. Um, there's another thing we're using it for, and it's, it's escaping me right now, but I know there's one other thing. And I can get back to you to give that to you for your article if you want. Not uh, that's possible. I, I don't know offhand. So we have another remote question here from Kate Payne with Iowa Public Radio. She asks, uh, based on disease modeling, what is the estimated range of COVID-19 cases that we can expect here in Johnson County? And when is the peak influx of patients needing to be hospitalized expected? Well, um, you know, every, every uh, country and uh, community is different. Um, you know, I will say, if you look uh, at all these different countries, even the ones that have the, the most cases, uh, you know, at least where we've tested and, and know about the case, it's not more than 1% of, of the population, for example. So Johnson County has 149,000 people, so it would be unlikely we'd get uh, more than 100, uh, 1,500 cases here, that would probably be uh, uh, the extreme, I think. Um, and most of those would not need to be hospitalized. Um, so what is the, 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 the trend? Um, uh, as you've seen it, uh, across the world, it, it can vary considerably from being very slow rising and then all of a sudden jump to just keep slowing and, and plateau. So it's, it's a new virus and it's really hard to know. And as I said, the demographics and the, uh, of each community is quite different and the factors that affect that, so. Um, speaking of the demographics, uh, the average age of um, someone in Johnson County 
30 years old, you said, is that based off of the student population also? I, I don't know offhand. If you look up, though, the, the demo, you know, if you just Google Johnson County and it gives you all the dif different uh, demographic factors, it says it's 30 years of age. Hi, Michaela from the Gazette. I apologize, I didn't introduce myself earlier. Um, kind of jumping on that previous answer to the question, um, for those directives to stay at home, social distancing, um, how long do you think we need to be doing those kind of practices? I don't think there's necessarily been an end date to those, but I wonder if you have a sense of how long this may be going on for. Um, well, you know, with what we're doing now, uh, clearly, as I said, it might trigger a more uh, drastic step, uh, but uh, you, clearly we would like to see when you start seeing a plateau and new cases going down would clearly uh, uh, be an issue. I don't think any country at this point has decided. I mean, China, which was the first, um, you know, they, Hubei province and Wuhan, um, uh, they've had no new cases in, in the last six or seven days, but they still have, they're not opening up that province until I think it was April 12th or something like that. Uh, so uh, it's hard to know at this point, but clearly you'd like to see uh, no new or very few new, new cases on that. Obviously, as more and more people get infected, whether they may be asymptomatic or mildly symptomatic, you do start building immunity in the community, and that herd immunity will be protective uh, ultimately. Um, President Trump has said that he wants the country to be open by Easter, potentially. And um, I'm wondering, just as a health official, if you would recommend um, elected officials to maybe di not do that or like go against what um, something like a directive from higher up. Um, well, we'd certainly like to be able to do that by, by Easter. Um, given the, the trajectory we're seeing in, in a number of uh, uh, states at this point, unless something changes, uh, I think it, that will be unlikely. But, you know, it, it's possible, but I think it's unlikely. We all wish for that, that's for sure. Uh, Travis with KWWL, um, just given that the situation is always changing, can you uh, say right now um, how many patients may currently be being treated for COVID-19 at the University of Iowa hospitals and clinics? Well, um, um, I think, yeah, uh, roughly about 40 or so. Not all of them are from Johnson County, but about that. They're not inpatients, but total being at the least advised by your doctors yes that's what you're saying yes i mean there's also iowa mercy city city and you'll you'll talk to sean williams too they're seeing patients as well so that number you just said that's for all the hospitals in the area or that's just for the university hospitals these are people that we have tested that have been positive. Uh, most of those we are following up, but they could be going to other providers. Can you say um, how many are inpatient right now at UIHC? Uh, yes, we have, uh, I think, five uh, today. Thank you. Mm -hmm. and, and I should say... They're not all in intensive care either. 
Thank you. And now we have uh, Sean Williams, uh, President and CEO of Mercy Iowa City. Good afternoon. We at Mercy Iowa City have been meeting regularly with our mayors and city managers of all the communities in and around Johnson County. This has given us the opportunity uh, to share with one another how best to manage this situation, our best practices, as well as our recommendations. As a result, Mercy Iowa City uh, does not support a shelter in place that's being contemplated. We believe this would disrupt not only our supply chain and our staffing, but also would create anxiety, in some cases panic, and we would expect a number of healthy individuals that would be coming in for testing, uh, utilizing equipment, testing procedures, uh, PPE equipment that we want to conserve for the predicted surge that we're all preparing for. We encourage folks to follow the CDC guidelines, social distancing, washing your hands, staying home if you're ill, and with a particular focus on those that have an underlying health concern, or as Dr. Jackson mentioned, are over the age of 70. Our Mercy Clinics began offering telehealth appointments this week. We've also stood up an LI, an L, I'm sorry, an ILI clinic, influenza-like illness clinic, uh, we are waiting on some final approvals, and we'll have more information on that in the coming days. PPE and personal protective equipment remains in short supply. We have begun receiving donations through Johnson County Emergency Management, as well as from the community, and we are enormously grateful. Uh, in addition, a group of our colleagues began making face shields this week, and as of yesterday, have completed more than 700. There's more information regarding this effort on MercyIowaCity.org on our COVID-19 page. We've expanded our capacity to care for patients who test positive for COVID-19 and need an inpatient stay. We've converted our largest hospital unit uh, for this purpose. Um, it is a negative flow unit with a dedicated air handler. Uh, this would allow us to treat uh, 28 patients in private rooms, but we can ramp up to 50 or 55 inpatients uh, with each room having two beds if necessary. We currently have four patients that are uh, housed in this unit. We've begun working with a reference lab for additional expedited testing as well as in-house testing. Uh, but it is a reminder for everyone that you still need a medical order in order to receive a test. So individuals should call their doctor. If they do not have a provider, they can call Mercy on call um, at 319-358-2767 uh, to be screened before a test can be ordered. Mercy has been a leader in responding to the COVID-19 pandemic and we encourage everyone to follow all the recommendations to prevent the spread of COVID-19, but above all, to remain calm and have confidence that we're here for you and that together we absolutely will get through this. With that, I'd be glad to take questions. Hilary Ojeda from The Press Citizen. Mm -hmm. um, could you talk about the condition of those four patients? So there's four patients that are in the unit. There are two uh, that are uh, COVID-19 positive. Uh, we have several patients that we're monitoring uh, and waiting on testing.
Could you talk a little bit more about the new influenza-like clinic and who, who would be going there, who would be treated there, what kind of treatment they would be getting, how many people would fit there? Sure. Um, anyone that had, again, influenza-like uh, illness, any kind of a respiratory illness, will be able to go there for care. Uh, we will have drive-through options for some of that care for individuals um, that we're kind of finalizing right now. And they'll also be able to be seen or advised and followed up with telemedicine, uh, and they'll be explained to them at the time. And we should have more to announce than that, we hope, later today. Sarah Watson with the Daily Iowan. Um, I'm wondering if you have an estimate of how many um, how many beds that you'll need for an expected surge. Yeah, so if you look at the total number of cases in the country, and then you look at the total hospitalization rate, uh, it looks at this point, and again, it's, it's a very fluid situation to be about 8% of the positive cases. Uh, as you heard Dr. Jackson mentioned, uh, if you look at our population in Iowa, or in our case in Johnson County, if you figure based on previous uh, experience around the world that 1% of that population uh, becomes infected, you could take 8% of that. I haven't done the math, um, but it's, it's some of the numbers that we're projecting. There are lots of different uh, models for analyzing this that are out there. I don't know that there's one that you can put full faith in. So I think we're looking at lots of different modeling that's being done and trying to understand the assumptions that went into that. Uh, obviously, we want to be prepared prepared for the the worst case scenario uh, but I think at this point when we look at the numbers we look at how it spread uh, the fact that Iowa and certainly Johnson County is not nearly as compact from a, a density population density perspective uh, as well as mass transportation housing etc that we we feel that it is going to be a different scenario in Iowa than what you would see in other more densely populated areas but it's something we're looking at literally multiple times a day yeah. This is on a separate topic, but um, you had said that uh, the that Mercy was not recommending a shelter-in-place order. It was not in favor of that. Correct. Um, I'm wondering uh, why there's a difference between Lynn County hospitals and like Mercy. Um, yeah. So. Sure. I, I can't speak for Lynn County. I can tell you for us, the number one challenge we face right now that we're concerned about is supply chain and the ability to staff um, our organization from the emergency department to the outpatient uh, clinics uh, to the inpatient side. Uh, uh, there's also, I think, conflicting opinions from experts as to how effective a shelter-in-place model would be, number one, in effectively being implemented, and two, in slowing the spread of disease. But what we do know is that it will have a dramatic impact, we believe, on our supply chain, uh, which is both local, regional, statewide, national, uh, and in some cases, international. Uh, so anything that disrupts that for us, especially now, uh, is of major concern. The other is staffing. There's unintended consequences that will come along uh, with a shelter-in-place model that could severely impact our staffing. The number of physicians, as you heard Dr. Jackson mention, that can provide the care that's needed is very limited. And if they or their family are severely impacted by a shelter-in-place, it could disrupt our ability uh, or their ability to, uh, to be there for us and to provide care for our patients. Uh, so there's also the notion that uh, given some of those facts, if it creates, if anything that increases the anxiety or that causes folks to feel more panicked about the situation uh, should be avoided. And I think us as leaders, we've talked about repeatedly in our meetings uh, with the mayors, with the city managers, with other healthcare leaders, uh, need to make sure that we're sending that message that for most people uh, that, re that have a COVID-19 diagnosis, 80% of them, it's a mild uh, respiratory illness, according to the CDC, only a small percent 
uh, would need to be hospitalized or would even need to go to the emergency room. And so I think for the general population, uh, we should be focused on those that are most vulnerable, uh, either because of age or other underlying conditions. And, and they should absolutely, and those that care for them, should absolutely be taking every precaution. But I think across the board, shelter in place would create uh, many unintended consequences that would hamper our ability uh, to consistently provide care. Kayla from the Gazette. Um, the university said that they're looking at the empty university dorm space as potential staff housing. Um, I didn't know if Mercy was looking at similar measures if you were also inquiring about the use of dorms for your staff. Well, no, we have not inquired about dorms at all for our staff. Uh, Travis from KWWL. Have you had any problems with um, people showing symptoms coming to the hospital unannounced because I know that was something that we thought would maybe happen that you guys would try to avoid has that happened mm -hmm. some of the early patients that came in some of the first pa actually the first patients that came through Johnson County came through our emergency department so obviously they came in unannounced and it was when this was all very brand new we subsequently sent all staff that had any uh, interaction with those patients home including a physician uh, until they went through the incubation period and they tested negative and were following the CDC and the IDPH guidelines to come back to work. Um, so early on, that was a, a major concern. Now, generally, folks are reaching out and contacting their providers in advance, uh, letting them know they're coming in for testing. But no, it's not a routine uh, issue. It can always happen, and we always have to be prepared. And we're treating, uh, we're taking every precaution and utilizing PPE for those patients which is why it's very important that we don't have a rush of patients that are healthy coming in for testing, uh, especially if we increase their anxiety, because if they come in, we're going to take every precaution to protect our staff and to protect them. Uh, but then that uses up very, very valuable resources. So the short answer to your question is it has not been a dramatic concern where folks have been just showing up um, unannounced. Uh, but if they do, we have procedures in place as well as protective equipment to make sure that we keep them and our staff safe. Can you give an update on um, your hospital's supply of PPE as well as um, what the uh, handmade type of donations coming in, sure. what that supply looks like, and you know if you guys have gotten the chance to like inspect them and be like, yep, like these are what we wanted, like these are good. Sure. Well, first of all, and we actually, we, uh, a member of our, uh, our team uh, had I brought up the notion, I heard it mentioned to Dr. Jackson, of utilizing uh, 3D printing. Uh, and so we are exploring that aggressively to see what opportunities that may present. As I mentioned earlier, we have uh, over 700 masks that have been created by our staff. Uh, in, in some cases, we've had some of our physicians say they almost prefer the ones that are being made. They're very durable. There are, a lot of them are made of more uh, for a construction site, so they're, they're obviously not only durable, but they're also cleanable. Uh, and so that's an opportunity. We've had literally hundreds of individuals reach out to us to offer uh, to make uh, surgical masks, to, uh, other type of PPE equipment. We are coordinating to make sure we're doing that in a safe manner. And the way we would utilize that is also something we're looking at very closely. Uh, it's not the first thing we would go to for a physician, for a staff member per se. But for example, when somebody shows up at an organization, they might have, they have a potential of being COVID-19 positive. Them having a mask on themselves uh, goes a long way to help uh, slow the spread. So there are creative ways we anticipate being able to use some of that. Uh, but we would absolutely inspect it. We've had an incident command uh, in place now for 18 days, meets every morning, has at least three or four follow-up meetings throughout the day. 
there's a whole group of individuals uh, that are focused on making sure that everything we do, one, that we're coordinating with the CDC and IDPH, but also with our providers that know best to make sure we're not utilizing equipment that we don't feel is safe. So the short answer is we are absolutely going to make sure that anything we have or utilize is safe and meets standards. again from the press citizen could you talk more about the um, wh why mercy is opening up this influenza like clinic where, where did this come out of like a, a need or um, to try to monitor how many people do have fever like symptoms in general that might not be able to get tested it's a way to one respond to community needs so that individuals can come through in a protected way uh, and, and to expedite their ability to be tested uh, if there's concern and do it in a way that's it's uh, organized and safe both for our staff as well as for the individual. So that's where that need came from. The inpatient side that I mentioned, uh, being able to expand initially to 26 private rooms uh, for, uh, for a COVID-19 dedicated unit up to over 50 uh, is for those patients that are obviously sicker and need to be admitted. And, and so it's both on the outpatient side that we're wanting to make sure that we can test and treat individuals safely, also keep them uh, a, a proper social distance from one another and from staff. But on the inpatient side, we absolutely want to be prepared for this potential surge. Uh, and it's, it's created, a, you know, all of our organizations in Johnson County, and, and I would assume Lynn County, and I know throughout the state, uh, that it's been an ironic challenge for us because we have uh, all limited our uh, uh, operations uh, to about 50% of what is normal. In some cases, about 35 40%. Uh, but at the same time, we've been spending a great deal of resources in planning for this potential surge. Uh, so I think from an outpatient side, whether it's the uh, ILI clinic or whether it's on the inpatient side, uh, if folks need to be hospitalized, we feel that we're taking all the appropriate steps to be prepared. Did I answer your question? Hi, I'm Sarah with the Daily Iowan. Um, I'm wondering if you have any kind of way to quantify how much more PPE you're using now than you may have before the outbreak. Right. So the phrase that everyone utilizes in healthcare is the burn rate and how quickly we're going through it. So the only, you know, we try to come up with daily with how long will our current supplies last. And the, the unknown variable is how quickly are people coming through uh, to be tested. Right now, nationwide, the most recent number I'd seen is about 90% of those being tested um, are, are negative for COVID-19. So what that means is, yes, there's a, there's a sense of peace and relief for them as individuals, but if they, if they are not symptomatic, if they don't need to be tested, at this point in time, we're encouraging folks to wait so we can conserve that PPE, in particular for the next couple weeks, uh, while we wait to see what is going to happen with this potential surge. Um, as Dr. Jackson mentioned uh, you know, uh, earlier, it's going to be different in different states. It's going to be different in different communities uh, uh, due to population density and other factors. So we want to be prepared for that worst-case scenario. So the, the short answer is I can't really tell you how many days or how many weeks we could go on our current PPE. I will say there's been tremendous coordination in Johnson County with Johnson County Emergency Man Management, public health, uh, great relationships with the UIHC and the VA. So I feel very comfortable uh, as a healthcare community that there's going to be a lot of coordination both in Johnson County, but frankly, uh, throughout the state, that if we have a run and if there's a, a strong need, that folks will come together. Please. Hi, Michaela from the Gazette. Um, you said at this point it's important to conserve the supplies and testing supplies that you, you guys do have on hand. Um, but I wondered if you could address the other end of that. If not everyone is being tested, 
does that mean we're not getting an accurate picture of the spread? And is that in turn a challenge then for hospitals mm -hmm. not being able to, to kind of prepare if there is a surge? Yeah, if I was, from a public health perspective, if you look at like what happened in South Korea, where they were they did ample testing early and and very uh, frequent, and they got a lot of people through quickly. They were able to then isolate individuals um, that were symptomatic and help control the spread. And they really did it in a very impressive way for for a large country. So I would say in in our case, from a from a hospital perspective. Our concern right now is when when you when you're uh, presenting yourself to one of our clinics, to the emergency room, or to the inpatient side, that we're prepared to care for you. From a public health perspective, I think every effort is being made and needs to continue to be made to make testing more available, to make the supplies more available. There's been a lot of loosening of of what uh, what needs to be in place in order to provide that. We're hoping to be able to offer uh, in-house testing uh, very shortly. Um, and so there's there's a lot of things that need to happen, I believe, from a public health perspective, so that that end number of those being tested goes up, um, and so that we're we're isolating those individuals that need to be protected. But I think back to uh, Dr. Jackson's earlier point was I thought very a good one. If you're somebody that has an underlying health condition, if you're in an age category uh, that is vulnerable, then you should just make the assumption and that that kind of self isolation uh, should happen immediately and so that you're protecting yourself. And I think for the rest of us, practicing social distancing, washing our hands or using hand sanitizer, staying home if you're sick, those types of things are very, very appropriate. I think last week you, sorry, Hillary, I'm the press citizen. I think yeah. last week you said that you had tested 66 people. Correct. Um, 12 were positive. Do you have an update on that? Yeah, it's now up to 89 that we've tested. Um, and uh, it's still, we, there's still, the positive number is still at, actually is at 13 currently. But most of those individuals were tested and then went, went home. They're not in our, in our hospital. Thank you very much. Next up, we have Matt Degner, Assistant Superintendent for the Iowa City Community School District. Good afternoon. Thank you allowing for allowing me the opportunity to speak with you today. The Iowa City Community School District has been very active and taken some important steps the last couple weeks since the announcement of school closure through April 12th. On Monday, we kicked off our meal distribution program at six different locations, City High School, Northwest Junior High, North Central Junior High, Twain Elementary, Wood Elementary, and Hills Elementary, along with some mobile deliveries to other sites. Meals are available daily, free of charge, and for children's ages 1 through 18. Yesterday, the district served close to 1,000 meals, and we're hopeful that number continues to grow in the days ahead. On Monday and Tuesday, families were allowed to come to school to pick up medication, and we provided information on how to continue to access mental health services for our students. Additionally, we've taken steps to ensure that our employees are paid and remain financially secure during the closure. The district has authorized a pandemic pay rate for those employees identified as carrying out critical tasks during the closure. The Board of Education passed this resolution at their meeting last evening. 
The district remains committed to continuing learning during this period away from school and has shared an extensive list of resources that students and families can access to continue learning while at home. Teachers are reaching out and connecting with their students as well as providing them with additional resources that can be used as desired. We're also focused on all students and families having access to these resources and have been actively collecting information from families that need devices and Wi-Fi access. The distribution of those devices and access points will be happening soon. During this time, we encourage our community, families, and staff to stay safe and stay at home as much as possible. We miss you, we care about you, and are thinking about you. And I'll take any questions you might have. Uh, Travis with KWWL. Um, can you clarify, did you say that there is a different rate of pay for only essential employees? In the district? Yeah, uh, we've tried to determine what essential tasks have to continue or critical tasks. And if uh, employees are working during this closure, then yes, they're, they're, they're going to be paid their current rate plus a, an additional pandemic pay rate during that, that time of employment. Um, have you guys had to make a decision? Like I see, I see you saying essential people get a pandemic pay as well. Is there anybody that you've had to say, we can't afford to, and I'm asking this because I know this has happened in other districts where they can't afford to pay everybody during the closure. Have you had to tell anybody, we don't need you right now, we can't pay you right now? Has that happened? Um, I, I would say our decision hasn't necessarily been a financial one in that consideration. I think it's been a, what's a, in the interest of continuing to try to, to carry out those essential functions and those tasks that need to continue. So when we have meal distributions, those folks need to be on site. When we have um, some projects or some physical plant building checks and cleaning that needs to continue, our physical plant has continued to work during those times. And so that's really why, how we've tried to handle it rather than uh, any kind of financial pressure. It's more what are the things that just have to continue while schools close. But we really are trying to operate under schools closed during this time. We're trying to get resources to our students and trying to focus on the things that, that we can do away from campus at this point. But some of those things just have to happen. We have to feed students, and we should be feeding students. We're excited about the numbers we've had there. And then also just trying to continue to clean our buildings while we've been away. Um, when you talk about, like, the people who are staffing, like, the meal drop-off points, um, who, who are the staff that, that are working there? Sure. So it's our food service employees, and we've had some of our physical plant staff all, staff also help with uh, just kind of crowd flow uh, through those sites to make sure uh, there was appropriate signage and that people could uh, traffic through the sites appropriately. And then we've had administrators that have also been on site during those days. Um, you may have answered it, but I don't know if I quite understood. Um, so, like, is there a teacher right now who's at home and not receiving any pay during the closure? No, all of our teachers are paid during that time. Yep. Thank you. Yep. Thank you.
Now we have uh, Ken Crawford. He is superintendent of Lone Tree Community School District and Highland. Hi, everybody. Thanks for uh, having me over here today. I appreciate that. Uh, at Highland and at Lone Tree, I'm very, very proud. And I want to make sure we also say, too, that the work that people are doing is fantastic. And that can be from educators, uh, the custodial staff, to the secretaries. Everybody's working. This is not a time when people are out there just hanging out. We have a lot of people doing a lot of work, and that's for the students of the community, as well as for just making sure everybody in our community is getting the services they, they need. Um, we, I'll start with the food. We have multiple people volunteering at Highland to make sure that we get the meal put together, uh, getting out to the students on uh, when, Monday and Wednesdays. And at uh, Lone Tree, we've been, I've been super thrilled that our food director person said, nope, I'll just do it myself. So she's putting in multiple hours of, of time to make sure that everything gets done for the students of the community. So we've been great there. Our cleaning staff's been in and they're doing a great job of getting everything done. It took about five days at Lone Tree and at Highland, it took about three, four days to get through two buildings. So everybody has stepped up and done a great job. Educationally, both elementaries are doing Seesaw and Class Dojo. And at the high school, both, uh, both buildings are doing uh, Google Classroom. And they're putting out a lot of educational services or opportunities for kids, and it is going great. The response back and forth has been fantastic. And we're also trying to track people that aren't online and reaching out to them and calling them to make sure that everything's okay. Uh, special ed departments reached out to all the parents and talked to them saying making sure everything's okay. So the outreach that I don't think sometimes gets a lot of press is that teachers are not just sitting at home. They're doing a lot of work and it's all for the communities and for the students. We reached out to all the daycares to make sure are you full? Are you getting a lot of phone calls? What do we need to do to help in that area? So I feel like sometimes you we get lost in that we're having four weeks off and it's vacation and it is not. It is not. There's a lot of people doing a lot of work uh, for the community. So I want to thank them and make sure that that gets emphasized here today. Um, any other questions? I know that there's probably a couple, but maybe I've covered everything too. Travis with uh, KWWL. Um, we've done some reporting about how the um, you know the way that the Iowa laws kind of stack right now it's hard to make online classes required or count uh, in some cases have you had have you received any guidance from like the state uh, Department of Education or anything like that or is, is it are you under the impression that you guys are just offering these um, like on a voluntary basis the key phrase is educational opportunities. We cannot require, we cannot grade, we don't send out rubrics on any of those things. The guidance from the Department of Ed, Ed, Ed is that we do not have that ability to do online grading. And so we're given those opportunities and parents and kids can take advantage of it if they want. If they don't want to, then they don't have to. So we're just trying to give, give as much out there so we don't have that, you know, it's called kind of that summer slip. Uh, when they're gone and off, off school for 10, 14 weeks, we just want to give those opportunities. And the feedback we've been getting from parents has been fantastic, that they are trying to get those, the kids doing stuff and having, having a little bit of fun at it too. So it, it's been a, a huge positive, I think, in both communities. All right. Thanks, everybody. Appreciate it.
And finally, we have Dave Wilson, Director of Johnson County Emergency Management. Good afternoon, everyone. Thanks for coming out. I'm going to make my comments brief today. I think you heard a lot from the uh, hospital leadership and the school districts and the cities as well. I think it's really important to remember that this is a unified response, and it's been a unified response since it started that Sunday night. Uh, we continue to you know, enjoy strong partnerships, not only locally, but as well with Lynn County and emergency management, public health, and the hospitals in Cedar Rapids. So to that end, we continue to push out supplies, personal protective equipment, um, have businesses and industry stepping up to the plate. Most recently, we've got a manufacturer here locally that was going to produce uh, face shields and just needed somebody to cover the raw cost of material. Um, he stepped up to a plate today, reached out to us, and said, I can produce these if somebody can pay for the raw material. That's the type of things we see from islands, especially folks here in Johnson County. And uh, we think those strong partnerships and collaborations have developed over the years because we are so used to doing disaster response, and we're so good at doing recovery around here. And those positive messages and those messages of calm and, and what we can all do to work together to minimize the impacts of COVID-19 are really what we want everybody to take home. Um, social distancing, all those things that really we've been preaching since day one are important to mention. So for the news media locally, I'd uh, like to say thank you. Um, the message you guys have carried forward is one of calm and reassurance. And that is important because it's not necessarily the same narrative that you see everywhere else. Uh, with that, I'd entertain any questions. Travis, you're usually first. I'm still thinking. Okay. Hillary, you're usually second. Yes, ma'am. Sarah with the Daily Iowan. Sarah. Um, I'm wondering uh, what, which uh, manufacturer said that they were going to. You know, I don't know that he wants me releasing his name, to be honest with you. I don't. That's embargoed information. I don't know what he necessarily wants overrun. But they reached out um, last couple days, actually, and their product looks pretty good. And uh, so we've got some facilities here in the healthcare industry that are going to provide the money for the raw materials for them to produce that. But it's, it's kind of like I go back to joking about when something shows up in a store, if we say that, it winds up a stampede. I don't necessarily want to release that without their permission. But just a quick follow-up. Um, you had called for uh, donations for PPE yes. as well. Um, how, like, how much have you gotten? Like, what are the channels if people want to donate those? Can, yeah. Should they go through you? Yep, they should. Uh, if they want to contribute them, donate them here to the Johnson County Emergency Operations Center. Our logistics desk, that phone number is 319-356-6707. And if the phone line's busy, just leave a message. And then we've got an email as well. So if they need that, they can contact us through our email. Um, we've seen a steady stream uh, every day since we put that out last Tuesday, I believe it was. Um, and we've seen a steady stream of donations. Iowa City School District uh, just approached me a little while ago in the EOC, so they're going to be dropping off some additional face shields that they'd uh, reacquired, repurposed from different school district buildings that obviously aren't using them right now. So we've seen a good response from, you know, healthcare partnerships that are closed, whether those are, you know, dentist practices or whatever, to business and industry, ITC reached out to us, et cetera. Um, it's just been across the board. And it's, you know, it's typical what we've seen here in Iowa, whether it's a tornado or a flood or, or whatever. It's common that we see people step up to the plate. And I expected no less as soon as we put that out. It's been a daily um, drive. And then those get re – we sign them in, uh, track who it was that donated it, and then we reissue it out so it sits on the floor less than 24 hours. Does that answer your question adequately? Okay, thanks. Travis with uh, KWWL. Um, we've talked <coughs> about how the decision for 
a shelter in place for the county is one that's being discussed. Um, can you say if uh, any emergency management um, crews have done any kind of preparations or if you've done any, you know, possible outreach to businesses or something saying, you know, be prepared? No. So this is in development and it's going to be developed uh, in collaboration with Iowa Department of Public Health, the Iowa Governor's Office, um, the local hospitals, local elected leaders, and, you know, folks in Cedar Rapids because we've got a very transient corridor. Um, when that comes out, if that comes out, let me rack that up, if that comes out, and if we get to that threshold, you know, it will be communicated. It will not be a surprise. Um, but we, we need to do that and drive that based on quantifiable things that are unique and specific to Iowa. Hillary. Hi. Um, so regarding the shelter-in-place order, um, a lot of the concern that we've heard is that um, it would interrupt the supply chain for sure. local hospitals and their staff mm -hmm. um, and the equipment that they use. Has emergency management looked at how other cities have successfully done this um, shelter-in-place order for models of how to do that and how to not interrupt We've looked at that. Uh, we've looked at the challenges, and there's numerous challenges to doing that. Um, the reality is that in Iowa, that type of thing is a misdemeanor offense. Uh, it's very hard to enforce, um, and we've looked at those types of things. We're Iowans. It's much easier to get compliance by asking people to do things than it is by telling them to do things. And that's the reality that we've seen through every disaster we've had throughout Iowa. If we ask our neighbors and we exert a little social pressure, that's gotten a lot farther with the honey than it ever has with the stick. So we've really tried to push back on, you know, social compliance, social responsibility, and things like that. But we've looked at those things. Um, those discussions uh, continue, but we're not there yet. Other questions? KCRG, come on. All right. Guys? Mitch? All right. Last shot? All right. Thanks, everybody, for coming out. I really appreciate it.